that the question, what kind of cities do we want to live in? How do we want our cities to be? Cannot be divorced from the question of what kind of people we want to be. What kind of humanity we wish to create amongst ourselves and how we want to create it. And it is that mutual constitution of the city and who we are and what we are that is something which is, I think, again, very important to reflect upon. This is The City, an hour dedicated to a critical discussion of urban issues. And welcome to the program here on CITR 101.9 FM, CITR.ca, and syndicated on CJSF 90.1 FM, and available as a podcast at thecityfm.org. I'm Andy Longhurst. On the program, we'll be discussing a new independent media organization, a new model of independent media, and a new media platform to connect Anglophone and Francophone Canada, and that's Ricochet. In the second half of the program, we'll be getting a student's perspective on the current education situation here in Vancouver schools and more broadly, the BC education situation. All that and more on the program. You're tuned into the city, an hour dedicated to critical urban discussions. Stay with us.
Every morning, we all do it. D'Halifax à Victoria, on veut savoir ce qui se passe autour de nous. But what are we really reading? Pourquoi certaines nouvelles sont choisies, puis d'autres mises de côté? How is the news delivered to us? The big banks and corporations wield enormous power in our society, and yet that power is largely invisible in the mainstream media. Uh, the mainstream media drowns us in information and yet leaves us so poorly informed. On le sait, on vit dans un univers médiatique très concentré. Il y a des mastodontes de l'information, Jessica, Québécois. Une vraie démocratie a besoin d'une multiplicité de points de vue pour alimenter le débat public. You aren't the only one worried about the decreasing quality of reporting and its impact on Canadian democracy. Journalists have a fundamental democratic role to play, one which they are no longer able to fulfill. On a besoin de quelque chose d'autre, on a besoin d'une diversité médiatique parce que l'espace public s'enrichit de cette diversité-là. Ça nous prend des lieux avec d'autres objectifs, d'autres visions. It's time to build a new national media, rising from the ashes of this broken system. A media which reveals what others leave hidden. Comme les médias papier sont en train de disparaître, on s'est dit pourquoi pas mettre sur pied une nouvelle façon de faire du journalisme, en mettant les innovations du web au service du lecteur. Le web, ça nous offre une tonne de possibilités. Audio, vidéo, partage des articles, participation du lecteur. Vraiment, le web, c'est un outil de diffusion incontournable. On veut faire des articles de fond. On veut faire du journalisme d'enquête. On veut produire du contenu qui, euh, qui nous sort de la formule sensationnaliste. Ricochet, c'est à la fois une couverture différente et sérieuse des enjeux qui sont déjà couverts par les médias traditionnels et des enjeux qui sont délaissés par ces médias-là. We want to go beyond instant news. We want to give our readers smart news. Ricochet will offer the in-depth articles you need to fully understand the complex issues Canada is facing. It's way over time that we've had a publication, an independent publication, that brings together Quebec and English Canada. Un média comme Ricochet va nous permettre d'avoir un angle de vue sur les Autochtones qui va passer de ça à ça. Parce que présentement, avec les médias plus traditionnels, c'est certain que le, les Premières Nations restent encore un peuple invisible. Ricochet, bâti sur une équipe jeune, dynamique, sur une équipe aussi qui va être professionnelle, c'est-à-dire des gens qui vont travailler. On en a des journaux à gauche où on exprime nos opinions, nos réflexions, ça c'est très bien, mais ça nous prend aussi des journalistes qui vont sur le terrain, qui font des enquêtes. Et ça, c'est quelque chose de très intéressant. It's the first of its kind. It's bilingual, crowdfunded and radically mainstream. At its core, a philosophy that quality journalism comes from paid writers. C'est un mélange de financement collaboratif et d'espace d'affichage progressiste qui va assurer l'indépendance de Ricochet et qui va aussi permettre de rémunérer ces journalistes pour du contenu de qualité. But with this project, we want to go even further. We want to incorporate our readers into our coverage and into our editorial decisions. Parce que grâce au web, tout le monde va pouvoir participer à la sélection des sujets dont on va traiter. Dans le fond, ça va être comme faire partie du plus grand comité éditorial du pays. Ça, c'est vraiment important pour Ricochet. I'm excited to see Ricochet come together at a time when the Canadian progressive media landscape could use a kickstart. It starts with this crowdfunding campaign to build a website, rent an office, and start paying our journalists. When you get involved, whether by giving $10 or $1,000, you become a vital part of this media revolution and become one step closer to a better informed Canada and a better future. En nous appuyant financièrement aujourd'hui, vous nous donnez et vous vous donnez la chance de transformer le paysage médiatique. Because until and unless we change the media, we cannot change the world. 
And that's uh, the clip from Ricochet. And uh, welcome to the program. This is CITR 101.9 FM, syndicated on CJSF 90.1 FM, and available as a podcast at thecityfm.org. I'm Andy Longhurst. And uh, Ricochet hopes to be, in their words, independent, incisive, and web-native. Uh, crowdfunded media serving the public interest. It aims to be a counterweight to the corporate media, a sustainable and participatory model, bringing together Anglophone and Francophone Canada and at the forefront of the digital shift. And I'm very pleased to have a number of guests with me live um, on the phone. Um, Melissa Fong, Derek O'Keefe, uh, Jahan Zeb Hussein, they are Ricochet's Vancouver-based editors, and I want to thank, uh, thank all of them uh, for being here on the line with me. And are you with me? Are you with me? And we're going to go to a track and be right back. Stay with us. This is The City on CITR. Welcome to the program. I want to invite uh, um, and welcome uh, all three guests onto the program. Thanks so much for being with me live. Thank you. you hear Thanks me now? for having us. Great. And uh, I guess first of all, because I have three of you on the line, and uh, just to give our uh, our listeners um, just a bit of background, uh, do you want to just start by introducing yourselves and, and telling us a little bit about who you are and uh, why uh, why you're involved in Ricochet? Maybe we'll start with you, Derek. Sure. Um, yeah, well, um, my name is Derek O'Keefe, and uh, a longtime activist and uh, journalist here in Vancouver, um, veteran of a number of independent media projects. Uh, one of them, the first one that was started by a number of Vancouver writers in 2004, that was called Seven Oaks Mag. Um, this one, Ricochet, is the most exciting project I've been involved in, um, really the most in- in exciting independent media project I've known about in Canada, uh, largely because of um, the fact that we have Quebec, uh, that we're teaming up with Quebec, that it's a bilingual, um, really pan-Canadian project. It, it's ambitious and, and challenging, and uh, yeah, just really excited to to have a number of great colleagues from here on the West Coast uh, working on this as well, and we're building a strong uh, Vancouver branch. The video you played previewing uh, Ricochet, that, that's all the Montreal crew, so mm-hmm. we, we need to uh, <laughs> get our get our um, get ourselves out there and introduce uh, some of the editors here on the West Coast. And so thanks so much for having us on the program. Well, thanks for being with me. Johansev, why don't we go to you? Uh, well, my name is Johansev Hussain, and uh, I just finished my undergrad degree from SFU in political science and French. And I've been working on different uh, media projects in the city for the uh, past couple of years, notably the Media Democracy Days uh, project. And I'm a journalist and a writer, and uh, I'm very glad to be part of this a bilingual uh, national publication, which uh, uh, hopefully, well, we're sure we try our best to uh, give voices to 
uh, those people uh, whose uh, opinions you don't hear very often in the media, and those uh, upcoming and young journalists uh, who are finding it quite difficult in this uh, in this political and social economic climate to make a living as journalists and have their views uh, printed and heard uh, uh, on a wider scale. Great. And Melissa, uh, now to you. Um, I am, my name is Melissa Fong, and I am a PhD candidate at the University of Toronto in Planning and Geography. I've been doing some writing on Vancouver politics for about 10 years now, so I'm, I'm well-versed in municipal politics, and I've been writing also quite a bit on other than urban issues, um, issues on anti-racism and feminism and intersectional anti-oppression. Um, I've also been a teacher for quite a while in the grade school system, public BC education system, and at the university level. Um, one of one of the things I'm really excited about with Ricochet is that we have a collective of editors and writers that have been writing and been political pundits in Canada and internationally for for decades for some of us um, now, and we're dissatisfied with mainstream media and we all decided to sort of come together and create our our own beast and it's been wildly successful so far and I'm really excited to be a part of it. Derek, I want to go uh, to you and and maybe I provided a bit of a context and we heard a bit about it in the in the video um, that, that I played the audio from. But can you talk to us uh, about uh, about the the crowdfunding campaign and and maybe provide a bit more context to how um, how how you guys plan to get this off the ground? Yeah, well, we have no angel funder and and no big organizational or foundation funding behind us, so this is a real leap of faith. Um, but uh, it's such a great collection of people and um, put together some great preview material. And so the, the crowdfunder we launched, uh, I guess about 20 days ago, uh, has just about hit 50000 on the fundraising um, efforts so far, and that comes from over 800 individual donors. The, the average donation is $25, so hundreds of people have given uh, small donations to help make this new media project possible. Uh, we're shooting for $75,000, and, and these are basically, and we have 10 days left to get there, so it's, uh, we'll be racing uh, to try to, to try to get to $75,000. What that is is startup funding. Uh, that'll allow us to build a state-of-the-art website and also to pay um, the journalists that we're already starting to commission to do research and, and to write pieces. One of the fundamental tenets of Ricochet is that journalists need time and they need resources and they need to get paid uh, for the work that they do. So... Um, it's really sort of a reverse of many of the independent uh, media models that have been tried. With limited resources, we decided to bring on a lot of editors who will volunteer their time so that we can pay the writers and the journalists. So as I say, it's quite a unique model and uh, just excited by the response that uh, we've had from the public so far. Great. And uh, and uh, Melissa, I want to ask you to speak more. I mean, we have a, a highly centralized uh, uh, media landscape, uh, corporate land- media landscape in Canada. Can you speak more to uh, to why Ricochet is, is different and, and speak more to the context of of, uh, of the corporate media in Canada? Right. Um, I, maybe I'll use a couple examples um, that came out of uh, Montreal, actually, and Quebec, with um, Ethan Cox, one of the um, editors on the project, had had been at the forefront of 
reporting in both English and French on the Maple Spring, the student protests, and also some of the issues in Quebec about xenophobia and racism um, with the Muslim community. And there was, in mainstream media, there was such a lack of good reporting and inconsistent messaging and some um, problematic messaging um, coming from the different language sides. And when we have reporters that have um, the ability, you know, bilingualism and pluriculturalism to see these issues and look at them critically, then we can sort of like bring together uh, these critical ideas and have a real conversation around critical um, journalism. And that's sort of, from my point of view, one of the things that I really enjoy about the people that are working on Ricochet. And, and Johanzeb, I want to go to you now. And Part of uh, Ricochet's appeal, and, and I think one of the really interesting things is you're arguing that this will be at the forefront of uh, the digital shift. And um, maybe, um, I guess, what is, uh, first of all, what is this digital shift? Um, I'm sure most people are aware of what's going on in media, but um, why is Ricochet uh, well positioned to be at the forefront? Well, digital shift, I guess, means that most people prefer reading articles on the Internet on their phone when they're uh, on the bus, on the train, instead of having paper copies. Even though there is a certain romantic notion attached to reading uh, copy uh, newspapers, but I guess that's changing a bit. But at the same time, I think a digital shift does not mean that you get rid of long-form and investigative and analytical journalism and move towards more Twitter or Facebook-like social media outrage or, you know, uh, you, you shift from views and go more towards news and breaking news and not have uh, analytical pieces out there explaining uh, social phenomena. So I think what Ricochet could do, or we, we hope that it could do, is that uh, be out there uh, in the digital sphere, but at the same time uh, provide in-depth uh, investigative articles and focus more on quality instead of quantity and focus more on views instead of news. Uh, because in the digital age of today with Twitter and Facebook and whatnot, uh, there's a lot of um, uh, sometimes focus and emphasis on getting uh, things out there as quickly as possible instead of you know, taking some time and taking some distance and putting some thought into what you're saying. So uh, I hope that uh, Ricochet uh, would stay on top of digital media trends, but at the same time have those old school values of, you know, uh, taking distance from things and taking your time to analyze it before putting it out there. And and Derek, I want to um, go to you and, and please anyone feel free to jump in at any point. But uh, I, I guess coming also, you know, broadcasting here from an independent uh, outlet, uh, campus community radio, I guess a, a question that I have to ask is why, why, is, um, why do you see Ricochet as being necessary? Um, how about other independent outlets and the sort of the independent media landscape that does exist uh, in communities across Canada? Yeah, I think there's, there's plenty of room and, and actually new outlets and existing outlets can support each other. And I think the whole independent media sector needs to grow. Uh, you look at the the reach of a of a chain like Post Media, you know, where one columnist like Andrew Coyne writes an obnoxious neoliberal opinion piece, and it's printed in 12 daily papers in cities across the country. I think there are ways that the existing independent media can cooperate to amplify 
each of our reach uh, and to really support each other. We don't see it as um, competition. Uh, primarily, we, we want to primarily we want to compete with the mainstream and mm-hmm. say, you know, here's an alternative. Uh, in this case, we're bilingual. We can reach into both Quebec and the rest of Canada. But um, yeah, I think there's there's tons of room to grow. Even if you compare the Canadian media landscape to the United States, there's really a, a dearth of, of independence and and left-leaning uh, voices on, on a national platform. So when you say, you know, we want, we're interested in, in working together and it's not about competition, how, how, might, how, do, you, how do you see that looking um, sort of in a, in a very practical sense of, is this engaging and working collaboratively on stories with other maybe independent radio stations or um, magazines? What does that look like? Um, well, my colleagues can definitely jump in. Yeah. I mean, uh, all of us write for various outlets and have great relationships with different media, uh, people around town, especially here. I mean, one idea would be to translate a work that's published by existing independent media in English in Canada. We could translate it into French, and Ricochet French could be an outlet for that to expand the reach. Mm-hmm. Um, but also things like pooling resources for longer investigative um, pieces and research by journalists, I think, uh, pooling funding is something we, we should look towards, and, and I've certainly, you know, had some preliminary talks with editors and publishers across the country about those sorts of initiatives. Right. And I also want to ask, and, and again, um, please, uh, everyone, feel free to jump in. Um, how are you handling, again, this issue of, of um, being identified as progressive or um, identified politically? Is it is it okay for independent journalists who are left-leaning to be... Um, to be identified as progressive media, do you think that is a benefit to um, to the work that we do, or or is, is I mean, in competing with mainstream media, is there this sense of that bias needs to be uh, addressed, and you cannot have uh, explicit um, politics involved in, in your reporting? And maybe we'll we'll uh, throw this to to Melissa initially. <laughs> <laughs> oh well, I mean that's a really interesting question. Um, of course. A lot of mainstream media, um, as, I mean, in the video, as Linda McQuaig said, a lot of mainstream media is it is conservative and is right-leaning, and it just doesn't explicitly say so. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think we are being more transparent by just laying it out there and saying, you know, this is the body of work that these contributing editors and editors have done, and we're bringing all these progressive voices together to think critically about mainstream media. Um, and I, I don't think that's necessary. I don't think that's a bad thing at all. I think that's being incredibly transparent and that's a positive, um, that's a positive way to present oneself. Uh, one of the things that, um, actually I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> um, maybe Jahanzib can, can follow up. Sure. Well, uh, I mean, uh, there's always a point of view. There is no neutrality in politics mm-hmm. or anything else in society to and so therefore to pretend that you are objective and neutral and value free uh is is it's totally nonsense i mean liberal media can uh can pretend that it is all of that but if you look at uh, if you analyze the point of view if you analyze the impact of the point of views it is anything but neutral uh and uh, i don't think that there's anything wrong with the uh, giving yourself a certain tag or whatever. I mean, I mean, I, I guess it would exclude certain uh, people or certain readers if you uh, explicitly give yourself the tag of progressive or this or that. But uh, 
I think uh, we would try to let our work speak for itself mm-hmm. and uh, let readers decide as to uh, our analysis is uh, valuable or not, and if so, how and how it is uh, different or better from what's out there uh, uh, existing already. One question that some might have is, uh, and and maybe Derek, you, I mean, you've been involved in uh, uh, politics across the city and, and write about it, but uh, having some critical distance and and what uh, what responsibility does uh, an independent journalist have if they are um, involved in in various activities across a city or urban social movements? Um, is there does there need to be some type of critical distance and um, how does that factor into the, the reporting and the issues that you choose to cover and how you choose to cover them? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I think there does need to be disclosure, um, even when there aren't um, big checks from corporations involved. We recently had the, the mini scandal when it came out that Rex Murphy and, and uh, Peter Mansbridge, I mean, it should have been a bigger scandal or a bigger discussion. Uh, Mansbridge and Rex Murphy were both taking large speaking fee appearance uh, appearance fees um, from big oil from the petroleum lobby thirty thousand dollars for a speech and CBC was not disclosing this when these people particularly Rex Murphy commented uh, about the tar sands and, and oil issues I think activists do have a responsibility to disclose things so when I write about municipal politics I'll identify as someone who used to be uh, very active in cope for example the municipal party when I'm critiquing the, the governing party in the city. So I, I think we want to establish firm guidelines around writers, journalists, and editors disclosing uh, what they're involved with. But, um, yeah, at the same time, we should be very, very open about our opinions. And uh, as long as there's rigorous fact-checking and, and all of that, it, it shouldn't lead to a problem. I mean, we have we have points of view and we have a political perspective, but also we have, a re- first and foremost, I think, a responsibility to our readers uh, and to the truth, you know, the, the search for the truth, because, of course, mm-hmm. uh, it, it's never absolute. Melissa, do you want to jump in? Sorry, can I add something? Absolutely. Um, one, of, one of the things that's interesting is that publications, um, I mean, I think a lot of people have, this, okay, you know, we're talking about the digital divide now, and a lot of people have um, their favorite writers, and uh, they have their columns emailed directly, to uh, their email inboxes now or whatever, you know, e-readings that you use. And so, I mean, this is a crowdfunded publication, mm-hmm. and I think it says a lot that we have already raised almost $50,000 from people that really believe in the work that, that the editors and the writers on the project have already put out. And so they believe in the vision and the work that we have done to put it out thus far, and this is sort of um, demonstrating that, like, we can disclose and we have, you know, that people want to support progressiveness and what we're doing. And I don't think progressive needs to be necessarily, I don't know, I I speak for myself on this, but I don't think progressive, quote-unquote, needs to be necessarily harsh to the left. But what it is, it's a critical conversation with mainstream media and saying that we aren't beholden to any corporate funding and we are putting our ideas out there and people are supporting it and they have demonstrations of support through our existing crowdfunder already. And hopefully that will continue. Right. I-, I wanted to say maybe harsh to the left should be one of our slogans. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
No, but I think Melissa makes makes a good point. I I just wanted to add that. I mean, I think our contention is that mainstream media is to the right of the public on most issues. So we want to move that uh, move the move the media to uh, be in line with more of the mainstream population on many issues. Um, so we have this slogan, radically mainstream. We're not entirely sure what it means, but uh, essentially that, you know, our, our views, which are often characterized as quite left, uh, actually line up with, with popular opinion if people are presented these ideas and presented this information. Mm-hmm. So, and, and this is, we're on an urban affairs program. Um, is, there a, is there a focus, too, on, on covering issues that are, I mean, urban social movements, Idle No More, um, a lot of uh, the politics that we're seeing playing out in in Canadian cities um, that often maybe gets overlooked um, through an urban lens through the mainstream media. Is there is there a commitment to that as well? And maybe we'll throw this to back to Melissa. Um, well, uh, my work is definitely urban focused. Um, I know that other people do have uh, quite a bit of urban focus, but also do a wide range of other issues as well. Um, each one of us, what's wonderful is each one of us comes with a wide range of different um, locations, different, you know, like re- reporting genres, and um, I think we bring together a really balanced team of both urban and other issues. Uh, but for sure that a lot of us are urban-focused, and we will bring bringing you urban news. Mm-hmm. Johan Zeb, is there is there also room? I mean, as a um, a recent graduate, um, is there room to also bring in um, students into uh, to Ricochet and and build relationships um, among uh, students in our our universities? Yeah, of course. Uh, one one of those of Ricochet is to promote, provide mentorship and training space for young up and coming journalists. Uh, it is not going to be exclusively a space for people who are already established and already have uh, some uh, renown or already have other avenues for debut to be published. So uh, for, a pro- for Ricochet to be uh, a progressive uh, publication or a publication which is different from other mainstream institu- institutions or, or a, a publication that wants to challenge the normative and prevailing social norms, it has to counter some of the dominant uh, social practices and ideologies that exist in society. And one of those is to counter uh, this uh, neoliberal idea that, uh, you know, it's, it's only the responsibility of the individual and, you know, the individual has to be competitive and good enough to make it. Uh, no, it's also an institutional responsibility to provide avenues for people uh, who have potential to develop. So Ricochet would definitely try to do that. And you're not going to be listening to or reading names that you already know, but you'll be listening to or reading to the point of views of uh, people who are uh, not well-known or not known at all, but do have important things to say. So one of the roles of Ricochet would be to sort of have a scouting network or have really have a good eye for talent so that when you see someone who is young, doesn't matter, uh, I mean, not necessarily young, but someone who has a good critical opinion, to uh, promote their uh, point of view uh, on the Ricochet platform. Mm-hmm. So obviously that would also include students, especially in this day of, day of age, day and age when uh, students are under, uh, I'm under pressure, in debt, uh, so on and so forth. So to have a publication which also pays you, you know, gives some dignity back to writers and students, I think this could be a good uh, uh, outlet if we... Uh, 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 do our best to go down that road. 
Great. And Derek, I want to wrap up, but uh, can you give us a sense of the timeline for your, uh, your uh, crowdfunding goal and, and what the future may hold? Yeah, there's 10 more days starting to, as of tomorrow, 10 more days uh, in the crowdfunder. It ends on June 20th, and uh, we're going to have a poetry night actually in Vancouver on June 20th to, to celebrate the, hopefully achieving the, the crowdfunding goals. Uh, so uh, listeners can go to ricochetmedia.ca. Uh, you'll see a, a full preview of what we have in store and also a link to the Indiegogo page where you can donate directly. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, there's going to be a number of events across the country in the next 10 days, but also over the summer, and we'll be starting to roll out preview content over the summer. Uh, the full website, um, you know, provided we, we do get the funding, will be uh, developed over the summer and then launched uh, closer to the fall. We don't have an exact launch date. But, uh, yeah, we're really looking forward to it. And just to say that the Quebec side of the publication is, is even younger in composition, and, and many of them are recent graduates of the Quebec student movement um, that shook things up in 2012. So uh, just to follow on what Jahanda was saying, it is a very young publication. I'm, you know, by far one of the, old, the oldest editor, I guess, uh, on the English Editorial <laughs> Committee here in Vancouver. So as Jahanda and Melissa both point out, it's going to be a space for emerging voices and uh, voices that don't get the detention. Uh, the attention um, that they deserve. Cool. Well, I'm very excited, and I want to thank you all for joining me live on the program. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much. Okay, have a good one. Thanks for having us. Okay, bye-bye. Bye. And Derek O'Keefe, Melissa Fong, and Jahanzeb Hussein are Ricochet's Vancouver-based editors. This is The City. Stay tuned.
And this is The City here on CITR 101.9 FM. That was Bear Mountain with Two Step. And uh, thanks for tuning in. Uh, this is an hour dedicated to critical urban discussions. And on the program, uh, we are hearing from a new uh, and exciting uh, media, independent media initiative um, and platform uh, that is in its crowd um, funding stage, and that's Ricoch- Ricochet. And I uh, was speaking with uh, Vancouver-based editors Derek O'Keefe, Melissa Fong, and Jahanzeb Hussein. And uh, if you're interested or missed any uh, part of that conversation, you can certainly check that out. It'll be posted at thecityfm.org as a podcast. And we're here uh, Tuesdays, uh, 5 to 6 p.m. on CITR Live and syndicated on CJSF 90.1 FM, Friday 10 to 11 a.m. On Friday, June 6th, uh, students, uh, Vancouver students, organized um, a a student rally, and they were calling it Stand Up for Our Teachers. And this was held at the Vancouver Art Gallery. And I had the chance to speak with Robin uh, Horner, and she was one of the student organizers of the rally. Uh, And she uh, was uh, speaking to me about the current situation um, in uh, BC, and uh, specifically in Vancouver public schools, um, and why she felt it necessary, along with other students, uh, to organize a rally to support uh, their teachers. We're going to hear a part of that conversation. Again, this is Robin Horner. So I want to begin by asking you to talk about the um, rally that you organized um, at the art gallery uh, for teachers and for public education. Can you talk about that? Well, basically, I was approached by a guy at my school who was going to organize a rally, and he wanted to know if I wanted to help. So I said that would be great, and we just kind of went from there. Great. And... uh, can you talk specifically about, uh, so this was um, last week, and uh, can you talk about uh, what happened and how it was received? So on Friday, we organized a student rally for the teachers at the art gallery, and it was a really great event, and there were lots of speakers, and yeah. Great. And uh, also, wh- what, uh, what school are you at? I'm at Windermere Secondary. Fantastic. In East Vancouver. So for you, tell me about uh, why why the strike matters and, and why you felt uh, the the need to and the interest in, in helping organize this. Well, I've always been really passionate about helping out our teachers. So as soon as I was given the opportunity to help out with the rally, it was quite, it was a uh, kind of a no-brainer, like, I'm, I need to help out with this, so it's really important to me because the government is basically screwing up our teachers and therefore screwing up our education. And, uh, and I guess, um, uh, tell me about some of the, some of your fellow um, students and, and um, I mean, the idea to organize um, a rally and, and do it so publicly is something that is this was it sort of like a no-brainer to think, why not do this? Or um, or is this uh, something that uh, took a bit more planning and uh, getting other students to be involved and, and making them feel like they should be involved and, and care about the issue? Yeah, yeah. It was, it, for me, it was a no-brainer that I really, I really want to help. Um, but it was quite a lot of work to get a lot of other students involved. Um, and we had meetings every day for 
a while so that we could plan. We were chatting on Facebook, organizing for a long time. We really, really worked hard to make sure that other students were involved, and it was quite difficult to um, get students involved, but it worked out really well. Why do, you, why do you think it's difficult to get, I mean, we've seen a bit of um, student activism. There was a larger um, protest that was sort of, we don't support the BCTF and we don't support the government. And, and this was also last week. Um, but then the work that, that you're doing and others are doing, why do you think it's difficult um, to really get students uh, engaged? Or do you find it is difficult to get them engaged in, in taking a stand on this issue? I think it's, it's, I talk to a lot of students and they, and a lot of them do support the teachers as opposed to the government and as opposed to neutral, but I think it's just difficult to get students out and into the public and out to rallies to get talking and get, and get involved, because you can always just get involved online. You can like a page on Facebook, but it's really a lot to ask for people to come out to the rally, and we're so thankful for the people that did. Yeah. And uh, I guess talk also about some of um, the the conditions. I mean, are you in your own classrooms um, and at Windermere, do you feel um, that uh, the issues that the teachers are bringing forward are, are personal for you, like class size, class composition, um, resources that schools have, um, can you talk about uh, how this affects you? Yeah, it's been very hectic around the school, definitely, especially with um, just more recently even because final exams are coming up and teachers are only allowed to be in the school 45 minutes before and after, and they're not allowed in the school during break and lunch. So it's been pretty hectic for them to be doing lesson plans and all that, and especially still with class sizes, um, at least half my classes are at full capacity, and that's definitely harder because the teacher can't quite get around to everybody. And I know in a couple of my classes I was re- really needing help at some point, and there just wasn't enough time to actually get all the help in. Mm-hmm. So it's it's hard to say. We'll we'll find out today uh, what the outcome of the strike vo- the full strike vote. But uh, do you see do you see um, this? labor action, um, how do you think it will affect you moving forward and, and I guess just the continuation of the um, strife between teachers and the government? I think it will affect me in that I really, I don't really trust the government in my education as much as I used to because, you know, there's been a couple of, you know, one-day strikes in the past, but then it gets resolved, and now I'm really losing faith in the government to actually, in the government and the BCTF to actually come together and reach a mutually effective agreement. Mm-hmm. What do you think some of the issues, uh, hopefully I'll have a chance to talk to others, but uh, what do you think some of the other issues um, for um, other students are? What's What's on their mind, and what did you hear at the rally um, what were people bringing forward and, and raising um, as as key issues at the rally? Yeah, I think it's definitely about the teachers and how protective the students are of the teachers. 
Right. So, like, for example, the the teachers aren't allowed to come in during lunch, and the students are quite upset. Like, you know, you can't get as much help now, and you can't get as much time with the teacher that you need, because I know that a lot of students closer to final exams will go in during break and lunch to get help, but just more recently it hasn't been available, so I know the students have been pretty mad about that and pretty disappointed. What would you like to see uh, come out of come out of this? And I guess um, more generally, um, what what do you envision public education to be in in an ideal world? Um, what would you like to see? I personally envision public education to be um, just a really efficient and supportive system for both for all parties, like the government, the teachers, and the students, so that everyone can actually get a good and sufficient education. And I really hope that the teachers get what they, they're asking for in this in the job action because what they're asking for isn't to make it isn't to make it easier for them, it's to make sure that it stays the same and doesn't get any harder. Mm-hmm. Are there any other uh, comments you want to make? Uh, I just want to thank everyone who is working their butts off to make sure to help us and to help the teachers. And yes, so yeah. And do you have any other activities or um, demonstrations planned? We do not have any specifically planned, but we have been talking about organizing another one. Mm-hmm. Great. And have you had a chance to be out there on the on the picket line with teachers? No, I haven't, but our next strike day is Wednesday, so I'm planning on uh, I'm planning on standing out there with my teachers. And that was Robin Horner. She's a student organizer of the Friday, June 6th student rally, Stand Up for Our Teachers. And this is The City here on CITR 101.9 FM, CITR.ca, syndicated on CJSF 90.1 FM, CJSF.ca. And if you missed any part of the program, you can download it as a podcast at thecityfm.org. You can catch The City live on CITR Tuesdays at 5 p.m. and syndicated on CJSF Fridays at 10 a.m. Be sure to follow The City on Twitter with the handle thecity underscore FM and on Facebook by searching The City Critical Urban Discussions. Again, you can find this program as a podcast at thecityfm.org. I'm Andy Longhurst. Thanks so much for tuning in. We'll be back next week for more Critical Urban Discussions. Have a great week.
And bro.